0: Church family, it's great to see you here this morning. I'll invite you to take your copy of God's word and turn to Mark chapter 3 this morning. And our series through Mark will be in verses 7 through 21 of this third chapter of the gospel of Mark. As you find your place this morning, I want to remind you that in just two weeks' time... Uh, We will be celebrating our Pray, Send, Go weekend. This is an annual weekend. It's the last full weekend uh, every year in September. If you're new with us and you've not been through one of these before, this is when we, together as a congregation, celebrate and recommit ourselves to proclaiming the gospel uh, wherever the Lord may lead us, and particularly through our four Pray, Send, Go partnerships on the Eastern Shore, the Appalachian Trail, in Philadelphia and in Sub-Saharan Africa. And so it's a weekend full of focusing together on missions and on our commitment towards missions. And so on Friday, we'll have our golf missions tournament. I encourage you to sign up for that even if you don't golf. It's a lot of fun. And uh, we raise money for our two church plants in Philadelphia and in uh, Rwanda, Kigali, Rwanda in Sub-Saharan Africa. And then uh, on Saturday evening, we have a praise and go dinner. This is an extended opportunity for us to hear from our mission partners. Uh, Marissa, our missions partner on the Eastern Shore, will be here with us in person sharing that night. We'll also have people sharing from various teams that went. We sent about a dozen teams this year uh, to our mission partners from our church. And so people from those teams will be sharing. uh, In the lobby today, you can buy tickets for that. It's $5, I promise you this. You get way more than $5 worth of food and you get way more than $5 worth of encouragement from hearing what the Lord is doing through our mission partners. And so that's on that Saturday night on the 24th. And so you can buy tickets in the lobby for that starting uh, today. Uh, After the service, go out there and grab yours. And then on that Sunday morning, we will commit together to praying, sending, and going for another 12 months. Church members, you're going to receive a commitment card in the mail this week. Uh, for everyone else you could uh, join the church and you'd get a commitment card in the mail if not though they'll be in the back starting next week and here's what we want to encourage you to do for everyone in our church that considers this their church family we want you to pray about how your family can pray together for the work of the gospel around the world how you can give sacrificially above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings to our praise and go missions offering so that we can send teams and support church planters around the world and how you maybe could go over the next 12 months to be a part of one of what is likely to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 teams over the next 12 months that will go uh, to spread the gospel and to partner together uh, with our praise and go partners for the sake of the gospel uh in in those places. So uh look for that, and we look forward to two weeks from now celebrating what God is doing through those partnerships together. I invite you to now stand with me as we turn our attention to God's word in Mark chapter three. Pick up where we left off last week in verse 7, reading down through verse 21. It's the word of the Lord. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he had desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon. Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he called the name uh, Bonagius, that is sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning confessing what we have already done so in song, that we need you. May that be the cry of the heart of this congregation today, that we need you that we need you to save us, that we need you to guide us, that we need you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we need you to instruct us in your word, and that we need you to show us how to do faithful ministry as you've commanded us to make disciples in this world. Jesus, thank you for the example that you set. Father, would you, by the power of your spirit, instruct our hearts now, we pray, as we turn our attention to your word, we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I get a lot of junk mail. Do you get a lot of, you used to get a lot of junk mail in the mailbox, now you get a lot of digital junk mail in your inbox. Do you get a lot of that? I do. We were sitting in the airport yesterday with uh, flying home from our vacation and my older son looked over at my phone and said, how in the world do you have, I don't know, it's something like 3,000 unread messages in my... Now, don't worry, I'm not ignoring you, church. It's not messages that you sent me, Um, but I have various folders set up in my mail. You may function this way too. And a lot of stuff just auto drops into those folders and I keep it because I may need to reference it, but I don't necessarily go and read it. And then eventually those numbers just add up to this. Well, whatever your interest probably is, if you've signed up for mailing lists or given people your email address sometime along the way, you probably get various emails yours are probably different than mine though so many of my junk mail are people wanting to tell me or us as a congregation how we could do ministry I get emails all the time literally all the time probably I'll get one this morning that if we'll just subscribe to some service as a church that they will guarantee that we will reach a certain number of people, that we'll have a certain number of new visitors, that we'll baptize. I'm not kidding you. This is really what they say, that we'll baptize a certain number of people, that the church will grow, that that giving will, these people can make giving all of a sudden grow in your church, right? They want to tell us, they want to tell you through me, really, how we could do effective ministry. And before the age of emails, there was newsletters that did these things. There are book after book after book that have been written about how to do effective ministry for the church. Everybody seems to have the ants. Now, some of these things may actually be useful. I have some of these books in my office that are useful. They help me think about how to categorize ministry and how we together as a church think about the things that we do. And, And so I'm not... I'm not discarding all of them as junk, but I would say that while ministry is often difficult and ministry is often messy because it includes people and the lives of people are so often messy, we need to recognize that it is not really complicated. It's just not complicated. And and this is what we're going to see this morning from Mark chapter 3 is that as Jesus goes through his ministry in Galilee, he really establishes for his church a, a pattern of faithful ministry that we can then follow. And yes, it's going to be difficult at times. It was difficult for Jesus, And yes, it's going to come with disappointment at times. We're going to see that in this text that there's a a specific example of extreme disappointment for Jesus. And yes, there's even going to be opposition to faithful ministry as we'll see from the text today. But it's not complicated. It's a simple pattern that we follow to reach people and make disciples until the Lord returns. Now, you may think for a minute that because I'm talking about ministry that I'm only talking to those of us in the room that, that are, are pastors that, that, that are surrendered to full-time ministry or maybe to our elders uh, who, who, who come alongside of, of our vocational elders together to do ministry. No, this is, a, this is a sermon for the whole church to think about what does it mean for us together to be in ministry together. For our congregation to fulfill the mission of God, to make disciples that make disciples and to do that faithfully, not sporadically, not occasionally, but to do it faithfully. To give ourselves to that task and to not overcomplicate it but really to follow the example of Jesus in a way that simplifies it for us so that when we think about what it means to do ministry together as a church, it's very easy for us to know what it is we're going to do. That doesn't mean ministry is easy. But figuring out what we're supposed to do truly is because Jesus uncomplicates it for us in his example here in Mark 3. The main idea of today's sermon is that Jesus demonstrates a faithful ministry model that the church should follow. This is what Jesus is going to do. This is what Mark is going to record for us, I think. A faithful ministry model that his church now, 2,000 years on, can continue to walk in until he returns. So we'll see this in three pieces, really, that build upon themselves. The first is that faithful ministry reaches people. Faithful ministry reaches people. Look at verses 7 through 12 with me again. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed. Now notice all of these places from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they Came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, if you're interested in that last part, let me just start at the end. and. and I'll jump back to the beginning. If you're really interested in that last part, just a few weeks ago, we we looked at this divine command of Jesus for silence. We've already seen Jesus command a couple of times for silence. We're going to see it more. I'm not going to focus on that in the text. I would just encourage you, go back about three weeks on our website and you can listen to a sermon where I do deal with why Jesus would tell these demons to to not identify him publicly as, as they were doing as Jesus is casting them out. What we just want to focus on in these verses this morning is is how Jesus does this ministry as this crowd presses in on him. And and how this crowd has grown from the villages around the Sea of Galilee, which in verse 7 is the sea that Jesus and his disciples withdrew to. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's it's little more in our understanding than a lake. It's not all that big. It It is very deep. And it had fishing communities, fishing villages all around it. And this is where Jesus did the bulk of his early ministry was in Galilee and in these fishing villages. And, and so the people have now begin to hear what Jesus is doing. And we'll see in, in Mark's description of where these people are coming from, how far the fame of Jesus has spread. So he starts locally. He says, that people are from Galilee. Well, of course, some of the people are from Galilee because that's where Jesus was. It would be like saying today that I'm preaching to people and people from Virginia came to hear because, well, that's where we are, right? And that's where Jesus is. But Mark starts locally. Jesus was from and was currently doing ministry in northern Israel. That's Galilee. If you're unfamiliar with, with kind of biblical Uh, The biblical map, this is the northern part of Israel in the first century, was known as Galilee surrounding the Sea of Galilee. But then he says that they came from Judea and Jerusalem. Judea and Jerusalem were in the southern part of Israel. To imagine Israel divided into really three sections, the northern section and the southern section being Israel, the middle section being Samaria, uh, which was comprised of people who were not very well liked at all from people in the northern and the southern section, so much so that when they would need to go from Galilee to to Judea or from Judea to Galilee, they would go around it instead of going through it. But people have now come, they've made this journey from Judea and Jerusalem to Galilee. So they've kind of come from, if you will, the city to the country because that's where Jesus is. And, And it certainly was uh, Galilee was certainly considered kind of the sticks, okay? It was, this is where the fishermen were. Judea was where the white-collar folks in Jerusalem were. But people are coming out, and he specifically mentions not only from the surrounding area of Judea, but also from Jerusalem. And then we see a, a, an area, a place that's not mentioned very much in the New Testament. It's kind of a, a unique word, idumea. And Edomia is is a transliteration of the Edomites. This is the area even further south from Judea. You're almost to Egypt at this point. This is the land that is south of the Dead Sea. It's wilderness. Now, it plays an important role in the Old Testament times. It's not very often mentioned in the New Testament, but here we have Mark telling us that people are starting to come even from places outside of Israel, outside of Galilee, outside of Judea, from Edomia, the Edomites, this long-standing group of people that have been there since, really, since the days of Moses, are are now coming to hear Jesus, but that's not all. They also came from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. Now, now, Tyre and Sidon were both major Roman port cities north of Galilee into what's present-day Lebanon. And these had been important uh, Gentile cities for a very long time. Jesus is actually in Mark uh, 7 going to go and do ministry in, in these cities. And we're going to see a, a really unique time that Jesus spends in these cities, as Mark describes to us before returning to Galilee, but, but these are Gentile cities. These are important Roman port cities in, in this day. And so you've got, you, you really have the whole area of of the near Middle East covered. You've got this this whole section of the Mediterranean Sea and the peoples of it coming to Galilee, coming to the, the, the backwoods area of Israel to hear and to see the amazing things that Jesus does. Now, let's fast forward to the end of Jesus's ministry. The end of Jesus's ministry and Luke records it for the. Luke records the end of Jesus' ministry for us, not at the end of his gospel, but at the beginning of his second letter to a guy named Theophilus, as he's writing about the acts of the apostles. And he says this as he's recording the words of Jesus. He says in Acts 1.8, but you, this is Jesus speaking to to his disciples who he's about to call in this next section, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in Acts 1.8, Jesus establishes ministry, a pattern for ministry for his disciples that begins locally and spreads regionally, nationally, ultimately globally. But before he gives them that command, a couple of years probably before he gives them that command in Acts 1-8, guess what Jesus has already done in his ministry? He's already demonstrated Acts 1-8 for them. Because who's coming to Galilee? People from locally, from Galilee, but also people from Judea and- from Jerusalem, people from the Edomite territory all the way down to almost into Egypt, people from the north and Lebanon, from Tyre and Sidon, the nations are already coming to Jesus. Why? Why does Jesus, why does Mark record this for us saying that all of these people are coming to Jesus and then a couple of years later, Luke records for us that Jesus tells his disciples that they're gonna go kind of to these same groups of people because faithful ministry is about reaching people. And it's not about reaching some people. It's not about reaching just my neighborhood or just your neighborhood Faithful ministry is about reaching all people with the gospel. Now, I'm going to have to protect myself from preaching my praise and go sermon from a couple weeks from now today. But let me just give a hint to you. We're going to be in, in Mark chapter four when we get to praise and go. And I'm actually going to preach in the series in Mark on praise and go Sunday. And, and here's what we're going to see that these little gospel seeds that we plant locally and nationally and globally, that they grow into these great big things that have nothing really to do with us other than we faithfully planted the seed. Now, we can't go to every nation in the world. The church, the big C church, the universal church can, but we can't. We can only go certainly so many places. We have so many resources. We have so many people, so many teams we can send. We can only do so much. But we go where God leads us, and and we faithfully do ministry in those places. And we don't look at a map and we say, okay, who's like us? Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee could have just reserved ministry for those in Nazareth in Galilee, but he doesn't. There's all of these people pressing in on Jesus because ministry is about people. It's about all people. And when our ministry stops being about people, we've lost sight of what's important. And far too often, this is what happens in the life cycle of a local church. A life cycle of a local church the ministry of a local church always typically, I say always, it's probably not always, but most of the time begins focused on doing ministry to people. But then as the church grows and continues to mature, eventually what happens often in the life cycle of a local church, then the church has to fight against this pull is that we start making ministry about us and less about people. We we, we stop focusing on proclaiming the gospel and start focusing on taking care of our own needs and our own wants and making everything about what we want it to be about. But Jesus demonstrates for us here that faithful ministry draws people in from all over. We can't lose sight of the fact that ministry is ultimately about people. It's about your neighbor. But it's not just about your neighbor. It's about people that you would think of as being the complete opposite of your neighbor because it's about people. And so we go to do ministry in all of those places because this is who came to see Jesus. And then Jesus commands his disciples and us to go to them. Number two, faithful ministry focuses on disciple making. Look at verses 13 through 19 with me. And he went up on a mountain and called him those who he desired and They came to him and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. These are sent out ones. These are messengers so that they may be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the 12. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee and John, the brother of James. So these are brothers whom he calls the sons of thunder Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now, as we transition here to this middle section, we need to first recognize in the text, there is a solemnness to this that we kind of miss in our English translations. As we read this in English and all four gospel authors do this for us, all four Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the 12 disciples by name. There, there's there's one name that's one way in one gospel account, but it's the same person. It's just a different name. Um, the 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 first Judas very likely changed his name so he would not be confused with the other after the fact. Okay, um, and so that's likely what's happening. In, if you were to read this in in Matthew's account, and you were to see a different name there. But here are these guys being called, but notice what's happening. We just read it and it's kind of a list and we don't think a whole lot of it. But but the way that this should read to us is that it, particularly here in Mark, Jesus going up on a mountain is important because anytime Jesus goes up onto a mountain in Mark, it indicates one of two things, either revelation is about to take place or a great transition is about to take place in, in the ministry of Jesus. So this is an important moment. Mark is marking for us the importance of this event by saying that Jesus goes up to the mountain. He doesn't name the mountain. Really, it translates literally into he went up into the hills, which surrounds the Sea of Galilee. is just a bunch of hills. And Jesus goes up into the hills and he calls these guys to him. And this is what the the text is as we read it, right? That he called to him those he desired and and they came to him. There is an emphasis on Jesus doing the choosing here that he called out those whom he desired. Now remember, we've just been told that crowds are pressing in on Jesus so much that he needs to have a boat ready to, to keep from the crowd from pressing in so much on him. We know from other gospel accounts that Jesus actually preached from a boat for this very reason at times. But here, after transitioning out of this huge crowd coming from all over, he calls these 12 guys. He picks these 12 men and brings them up into the mountain with him and he makes them, appoints them, commissions them to be his Apostles. Now, just quickly, some some things about this. We know who some of these people are. Likely, if you're a student of the scriptures, you know Peter, right? Peter, the gospel of Mark, very likely Peter's account of the gospel uh, as he was preaching in Rome and recorded by Mark. Uh, James and John, important for the scriptures. Peter, James, and John always listed first in the list. They were the three closest Uh, to Jesus. Some of these other men though, we know very little about. We get very minimal interactions with some of them with Jesus recorded for us in the text. Others of them, we only kind of know their flaws. For instance, like Thomas is always the one asking questions that really everybody else was asking, but Thomas was the only one brave enough. But we know him kind of as Thomas the doubter because of it, because he's asking kind of these doubtful questions. But even this list gives for us the same kind of indication that we saw earlier where all these people are coming from all of these other places and we get to this list of 12 and we shouldn't just read this as a list of kind of a homogenous group of 12. In this list is someone who is known as a zealot, which means he was of a group of people who had made it their life's mission to rid Israel of the Romans. And in this group, is a man named Matthew who also goes by Levi that we had already seen was a tax collector, meaning he had thrown his lot in with the Romans. So so this isn't Jesus just picking 12 guys that got along. I can promise you, there were some really interesting campfire discussions between a zealot and a tax collector. That, That Jesus is able to bring this group of disciples together And this is what he demonstrates for us, that ministry must be about making disciples. That this is the outcome that we are looking for. This is why we as a church say that our mission is to make disciples that make disciples. That may seem really simple, but we believe it is simple. It's hard to do. It requires great effort. It requires great investment in the lives of of people. It requires longevity and long suffering. But yet, it's the model that Jesus gives to us that simply what we do is we do what he did and then commanded his disciples to do, make disciples. In Matthew's account of the end of Jesus's ministry, we read what we have here on the wall. The Great Commission, where Jesus tells these men minus Judas Iscariot to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the pattern of the, the pattern of faithful ministry that Jesus leaves for His church. That ministry is about people, but it's not just about meeting the needs of people. Ministry is about making disciples of people. Jesus sets this pattern of direct investment in the lives of his disciples. And then he sets those men loose in the world to follow that same pattern. Now, we're not Jesus. Meaning we don't call to our side those that we desire. We follow a much broader command to make disciples of all people. Combining Acts 1:8 and Matthew 28, we make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We make disciples anywhere we go. We make disciples of anyone whom the Lord has called to Himself. We make disciples of them by proclaiming the gospel to them. And when they believe in saving faith, by pointing them to Jesus for the rest of their lives. We make disciples. We follow in the footsteps of the disciples as we make disciples in the world. But notice this. In in this list are some men who who led the New Testament church to, to proclaim the gospel on three continents before giving their lives for the sake of the mission. And one who betrays Jesus to his death. Have you ever sat and wondered why Jesus chooses? And no, Jesus chooses Judas. Judas sits under the ministry of Jesus for years. Judas is invested in by Jesus. Judas is encouraged by Jesus. Judas is taught by Jesus. And yet Judas still betrays Jesus. Why? Well, there's several reasons, but one that's important to our sermon today. Because we need to recognize that disciple making is going to come with disappointments as you invest in the lives of people, you're going to at times be disappointed. Why? Because people disappoint us. (laughs) Those that we're investing in will disappoint us. There may even be times that those who are investing in you disappoint you. Now, Jesus did not disappoint his disciples, but he's the only one who likely we could say that about. The rest of us are flawed. The rest of us fail. And we need to recognize that there are going to be times where great investment is given in the life of someone, and yet that person greatly disappoints us. Paul writes about this to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, "'Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times "'some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves "'to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons.'" Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. They're going to always be those who give themselves over to falsehood, and it's a disappointment. It's a sorrow. There's great sorrow in ministry at times. Know that there was great sorrow in ministry for Jesus, calling out Judas, knowing knowing as he did that Judas would betray him. And there was great sorrow in that moment of betrayal from Judas of Jesus. And yet we're still called to follow in the example of Jesus and make disciples. Why? Because this is the mission we've been given. In Colossians chapter one, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, and you who were once alienated and hostile of mind, doing evil deeds, that was us, Christians. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by its death in order to present you as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Listen, let Judas be a lesson to us. Yeah, Judas can be a lesson to us. Let Judas be a lesson to us. Yes, there will be disappointment in ministry, but it's worth it. It's, ministry is worth it. Because we can hold fast to the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the gospel. And so my encouragement to you today is to hold fast and to, to be stable in your faith and to invest in the stability of the faith of others. I said at the end of the first point that when our ministry stops being about people, we've lost sight of what's important. I'd like to add to that now and say, when our ministry stops being about discipling people to follow Jesus, we've lost sight of what's important. Our ministry is not just about meeting needs of people. Our ministry does often meet the needs of people, but it also must meet their greatest need. And that is for them to look to Jesus for salvation and to then follow him as a disciple. This is what we do as a church is we make disciples together. Number three, faithful ministry perseveres when opposed. Look at the last two verses of this section. Then he went home. I just love Mark sometimes. Just stop for a minute. He has these, these moments, right? These big moments and all these people from all over pressing in on Jesus and you have this commissioning moment. He calls these disciples and then Mark does what he does in several places He's like, eh, and then he went home, okay? So Jesus goes home, but the crowds didn't leave him alone. They followed him. The crowds followed him so much so that they could not even eat. Now We're going to see Jesus address this need later when he's going to feed 5,000 of them because there wasn't enough to eat. And this is what's happening. They're swamping these little, home is likely Capernaum. Capernaum was not a big place and the crowds are so great, there's not enough food in Capernaum to feed the people. And word spreads back to not far away, Nazareth, a little more inland. It's away from the Sea of Galilee, but word spreads to Nazareth that Jesus is doing such great things that all these crowds are following in and he's actually causing kind of a humanitarian crisis in in Galilee. That's what's happening. And then look at the reaction of his family in verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Faithful ministry perseveres when opposed even when that opposition is from very close by. And these are the people that knew Jesus the longest. This is Jesus's, I mean, it just says his family here. We're going to see his family come to him at the end of Mark chapter 3, and we're told that it's his mother and his brothers that are, that are going to come to try to talk some sense into Jesus, okay? See that next week. You're going to kind of come try to talk some sense in, into Jesus. In their mind, Jesus is doing something that's, that's out of the ordinary. I mean, this was, he was trained as a carpenter. He was raised beside his, his brothers. Even his mother, who had received message from an angel of what Jesus would be, still is, is at least somewhat confused about what's going on here. Maybe this is a little too much too quickly. But yet he perseveres in the face of opposition. And we need to recognize that ministry is going to be opposed. Faithful ministry is going to be opposed. Listen, ministry that just goes out and does nice things for people is not going to be opposed in pretty much any culture. Because people are going to be like, hey, I mean, that's what the world thinks the church should be doing. The world looks at the church and is like, okay, as long as the church either stays in their little buildings together, and when they do come outside, they do nice things for people, then the world can tolerate the church. But when the world when the church starts proclaiming the the unique nature of the gospel, the exclusivity of salvation found in Jesus Christ alone, and that we forsake all to follow him in this life, it is way too far for the world. it just becomes a bridge too far for them and they 're going to say about us what jesus family says about them they are out of their minds and yet we persevere in ministry. And know this, Jesus told us that this was coming. He says in Matthew 10, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And what Jesus isn't saying here is that in every case where someone believes the gospel that this is going to happen, but he is recognizing that the gospel does bring about these kind of divisions. And as people truly follow Jesus, there are going to be those who look at us just like those closest to Jesus looked at him and think we're crazy. It's gonna cause great division. This is happening in our world, all around the world. People are ostracized when they come to faith in Jesus. And even now in our culture, people are beginning to be ostracized because of their faith in Jesus. And listen, what we don't do is fight against those who are in the world. We just continue to persevere in faithful ministry. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, the whole chapter is about what does it mean to be kind of this faithful follower of Jesus. And he gets to the end of this, and this is what he says. And the Lord's servant, that's us, the Lord's servant, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. And being captured by him to do his will. We don't make enemies out of our opposition. We make disciples out of our opposition. <laughs> this is what we do. Let we say, where do you get that from the text? Well, if you know the story, you know that one of Jesus' brothers, at least two of Jesus' brothers, one writes the New Testament book of Jude, the other James, one of Jesus' brothers named James who's named in one of the gospel accounts, becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't one of the twelve it was one of Jesus's brothers because the head of the church in, in Jerusalem that that these people who have come to think he because they think he is crazy eventually follow him with their lives and and then Peter decades later, or Paul, sorry, decades later, writes to Timothy and it's like, people are gonna oppose you and when they do, what you do is you keep preaching the gospel to them because what's going to happen is some of them, not all of them, but some of them are going to repent and come to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ and they will escape their sin and follow him. So we don't have to make enemies out of our opposition. We simply proclaim the gospel to them, trusting that Jesus will make disciples of them. We can't lose sight of the mission of God to make disciples of all people, even when it is uncomfortable for us to do so in the culture. So what? Do I serve Jesus by faithfully following the example of ministry he set for his church? Make no mistake, as I said it from the outset, this is not a sermon for pastors, This is not just a sermon for church leaders. It's not a sermon for our strategic leadership team or for our elders or for our deacons. This is a sermon for everybody that calls this their home church, that thinks of this as their congregation, that this is their assembled family of Christians together. For us, I ask this question Do you serve Jesus faithfully by this example? If not, why not? It's not complicated. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, we'll meet opposition. Yes, there'll be disappointment along the way. But it's simple. We make disciples. The call of discipleship is the call to faithfulness. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of that New Testament letter writes this. He says, but recall the former days when you, after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle with suffering." sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated for you had companionship on the, or compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The author of Hebrews tells us that they had compassion upon those in prison because some of them were in prison. That they dealt with having their goods, their material possessions plundered because some of them had been robbed for the sake of Christ. But yet what do they do? They pressed on in faithful ministry. At the end of that chapter, the the author of Hebrews says, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and perseverance (laughs) This is who we are. We just follow the example that Jesus has set to press on in the mission of making disciples. May that be what our church faithfully does. May we never lose sight. May the Lord protect us from folding in on ourselves. And thinking that ministry is only about the people inside of these walls. May the Lord protect us from thinking that ministry is somehow only about meeting physical and tangible needs. May the Lord protect us from giving in when we are opposed. May we together follow the example that Jesus set for faithful ministry together. As we make disciples that make disciples. Let's pray. Father. May you do just that. Protect us. Spur us on even to fulfill your mission for your church. May that be the desire of every believer that is a part of this church. That we together would make disciples. That we would do the hard, laborious task of investing in the lives of people so that they may follow Jesus with their whole heart. And may we allow others to invest in us so that we may follow Jesus with our whole heart, we pray in Christ's name, amen. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this was clearly a message for the church, knowing that there are probably some in here who do not follow Jesus. You are our mission. And we, we say that with love towards you. That you too can believe in the gospel of Jesus today and be saved. That Jesus died in your place so that you may have life and that you may join his church, his people, his family, his children on mission together. And if you've never done that, come find me in the lobby after our service. Let me talk to you about how you can put your faith in Jesus. Church, we now respond together to the call of God upon his church. Would you stand with me as we sing?